Good morning, everyone. It's great to be back uh, preaching and being in worship with you all again. I love being here. It feels... Um, it feels kind of like a second church home. It's wonderful, actually. Um, I love being with you all, so thank you for having me again. Um, yeah, today I get to speak on a topic that uh, I'm not really feeling, okay? Um, and the topic today is resilience. Yeah. Uh, as we've, you've been going through this sermon series, we are a people who, right, and you've covered various amazing topics, right? Like we are people who see God, we are a people who show grace. We are a people who love, obey, and imitate Christ. And we are a people who seek and share joy, I think was the last one, right? And so in that space of doing these things, there's something that happens, though. We are called to do those things in the midst of a vacuum, so nothing ever bothers us, and we, we just always can do it successfully. Right? No, we're like called to do it in the middle of life. And so in the middle of life, we are, those things are threatened, right? My ability to seek and show joy, my ability to imitate Christ, to follow after him, to obey, those things are affected by what life throws at me and what I end up living into and have to live through. And so we need to build something up in us that's called resilience, and so today we're talking about how we are a people who bounce back, okay? And as we talk about resilience, we're going to be looking at a passage in Romans. Let's go ahead and read that together. It's Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul's talking about resilience. And if anybody understands it, I think Paul does. He's been through a lot. He's witnessed a lot. He's sat with a lot of people who've been through a lot. And he gives them a pathway for producing resilience within themselves. Okay? And it starts off with something that I don't think any of us are feeling today. Glory in your sufferings. Yeah, right, Paul. <laughs> yeah, right. We're not there. I'm not likely to get there anytime soon. Okay? And so how do we understand Paul's like desire here what's he trying to build up in us and we're going to start talking about resilience by asking a question how do you fare in the middle of the storm how do you act how do you behave how do you respond in the middle of the storm life's sufferings life's hardships the people that paul is talking to their suffering is that they're being persecuted there is political oppression and there's poverty like, I don't know where our next meals are coming from kind of poverty. And he's saying, in the midst of those things, we can glory. I, I'm not exactly buying it yet, right? And so Paul is saying that in that storm, there's a way you can respond. 
There's a way in which you can live. But how do you do it? Think about it for a minute. When life's storm comes your way, when things happen, when things get difficult and things get hard, how do you respond in the middle of those things? Are you a very resilient person? Do you struggle with resilience? That's okay. We're all in various stages of this thing. We had a storm a couple weeks ago, right? Big ice storm. And how many of you were without power for like a long time? Yeah. Guess what? I didn't lose power at all. I could be like, I'm really resilient. I got through that storm great. But like, I just got a week off and I got to drink cocoa and play video games with my son and board games with my family. And it was the best week. Right? So my experience of the storm was a little easier than some. Some of you lost a lot like of power, you lost food. Some people lost trees and fell on top of houses, therefore losing parts of houses or whole houses, losing cars. Like, we all had a different experience of that storm, right? And so we have to allow for the fact that storms affect us each differently. You know what didn't fare super well in the storm? Were trees. And like, I've been around here long enough for some of these that I'm like, this seems like one of the worst ones for losing trees and branches. What was that about? Why this storm? Because you're seeing these gigantic trees that have withstood how many hundreds of storms probably? And this one, they toppled. Like, what was that about? Why? And so I talked with a friend who was talking about, like, I think it was like a brother-in-law or something that was like an arborist and was saying, yeah, actually, this was one of the worst ones. And it had to do with the way in which the storm came about. And I don't remember the exact order. I mean, we could go back in our own brains, but it had to do with that, like, freezing and refreezing and refreezing and the expanding and all that stuff and the wind. But it was the order in which the storm came that for some trees the storm overwhelmed their capacity to withstand it, right? I've been in some storms where I feel threatened that I'm not going to be able to withstand it. Some of you might be there right now. Some of us are like, what are you talking about? And we're like, mm, okay. <laughs> some of these trees didn't stay withstand the storm. Others, like mine, lost a lot of branches, big branches, narrowly missing houses and things, and you could hear them crash, and you're like, I'm not sleeping in that bedroom because that's where it's going to fall, so I'm going to move to this one. And my trees withstood the storm. They're, they're very different now. They're scarred now. They have a different shape, but they withstood the storm. There's something about those trees that were able to be resilient in the midst of the way this storm went about that they were able to keep standing. And for others, they weren't. So when we face life storms, how do we approach them? How do we walk in them? Are we able to withstand? And Paul says, yes. Paul says, you are absolutely able to stand. You are absolutely able to keep going. And he says, so much so that you're going to glory in your sufferings. And I want to be very clear. I'm probably going to say this like 19 times today. Paul doesn't say the first step is glorying in your sufferings. It's a journey to get there. It's a pathway to get to that place. Most often, the first step is take a step. Keep going. Keep going. I told you when I started that I wasn't really feeling this one this week. This week has been a tremendously difficult week to persevere. 
And I was in a group with pastors, and I was praying, and they all had these beautiful prayers for the city of Portland and some of the things we were trying to lead and do. And I prayed because they were waiting for me to pray, and I had to say something. And I simply just said, God, I need you. Help me keep going. Sometimes that's what it feels like. Sometimes that's all you have left. And you know what? That's actually a beautiful step in perseverance. It's the acknowledgement that I actually wasn't doing it on my own, couldn't do it on my own, and I need him to help me do it. It took me a long time to get to that stage, and I'm not so sure I'm always convinced of it, (laughs) because I almost immediately go back to trying to do it on my own. But sometimes it's just taking that step. You've all probably met some really resilient people in your life. Somebody who weathers the storm beautifully. Maybe they just got a cancer diagnosis and they are just doing all right. Of course it's hard. Of course it's difficult. And yet they have a depth of relationship and trust that you're like, where is that coming from? How are you able to do that? I remember when my son, when he was two weeks old, we found this growth growing on the side of his neck. And it was this giant cyst that ended up growing by the time he was two months old into the size of a softball on the side of his neck. We had ER visits in his first two months. We had two-hour ambulance rides because we were in a rural town to get to the, the nearest children's hospital where they could look at what this thing was. And at two months old, we have to put him into surgery, give him over, sign all the documents that say no one's held responsible. They tell us how dangerous it is to work on a two-month-old, so they really don't like to, but we have to. And I'm like, what is happening in my world right now? There was not part of me that felt any ability to continue. I was completely overwhelmed. I was the tree that was lying down, and I was not bouncing back up. And I met people at the Ronald McDonald House that were extremely resilient. They'd been going through these processes for many years with their children. And they came around us. They saw us. They just did simple acts like hugging us, talking about our kid, as if everything was normal and we weren't there for the things we were there for. We could just have a conversation. We could pray together. We could pray for our kids. We could be in a space, talk about all the things. We could hope together. We could despair together. But there was such a level of resilience in that place. It was beautiful. And we've all met the people who are not resilient. Sometimes that's us. Sometimes we meet them by looking in the mirror. Have you ever met a toddler? Yeah, world's least resilient people. (laughs) Like, honestly, we joke about like when we would give our son a banana. Like, have you ever seen a toddler gets a banana and is going to eat the banana and then it breaks? And the banana is like half on the floor and half here. So they pick it up and they come to you and they're like, "Eh." and you're like, okay, like, what do you want me to do? And they're like, broken. And you're like, yeah, it's broken. And you're like, but it's okay. It still tastes the same. No, it won't. Like, no, it really will taste the same. No. And you're like, oh my gosh, buddy. And you're like, okay, like, can I put it back together? Like, I was like, you know what? That's a whole half a banana. Like, let's just put that one here, but it's still a whole banana. No, it's not. Like, you can't reason with them. It's just over. It's done, right? And you're like, oh my gosh. And you, 
you have no resilience left, right, as the parent. You're just like, all right, fine, where's another banana, right? <laughs> like, let's get that banana. But the longer you go with that kid, like, eventually they're just, like, head in a pillow screaming, right? Like, my banana broke. And it's like, sometimes we're really not resilient people. Sometimes it's life's biggest challenges that are easy to walk through, and then I get cut off in the parking lot for the spot I want, and I'm like, my banana! Right? Like, I can't handle life right now. It's the worst. It's the worst. I'm just going to scream in my pillow. It's so bad. And you're like, man, what is wrong with us? Right? We have different stages of resilience. Different things affect us different ways. Each one of us has a different level and capacity for it. Like resilience is this really complicated thing, and Paul is distilling it down to a journey that we can take, and it's rather simple, and it's rather beautiful. Neuroscience tells us that when things happen to our brains, like when things happen to us, when, when sufferings happen, when distresses happen, when we live in stress, when we fall off our bike, right? It changes our brain to think differently about that event going forward. I don't want to get back on my bike. I'm afraid of doing that thing. I won't do that thing. And what do we tell kids that fall off their bike? Go ahead, tell me. Yeah, get back on, right? We have these statements and these phrases in our, in, in our culture because we're trying to build resilience. We're trying to help people learn how to do the thing again. And neuroplasticity is this word that says, like, your brain is actually constantly changing, and it's learning things based on what's happening to you. So your brain is learning a new mechanism because you fell off the bike. Yeah, don't get on the bike, stupid. Right? Like, that's the thing it's telling you. And you have to go, oh, no, I have to get back on the bike and reteach the brain a new pathway and a new thing. And you can begin to override the things that your brain has learned from the traumatic experience. And it's a journey. It takes a really, 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 really long time. Even for something as simple as a bike. How many of you were the kid that never got back on the bike? Anyone? How many of you, it took a long time to get back on the bike? Yeah, there's some of us. How many of you immediately jumped back on the bike? Yeah. We all have a different capacity for resilience, for bouncing back, for getting through the thing. I remember when I got in my first car accident when my son was in the car. Man, it was so hard to get back in a car again. I was constantly looking in the rearview mirror as I drove. That's no way to drive. You have to look forward. But I was like, right? Because I was like so worried. It taught me a thing about driving, and I had to relearn to not be super afraid of that thing and to go do it again. And suffering does the same thing for us. It reshapes our brain, and then we have to start taking steps forward in order to rechange and get a different outlook. So resilience is not a one-size-fits-all kind of program, okay? Each one of us has a different capacity for it. And I heard this analogy, and I really liked it. Some of us are orchids, and some of us are dandelions. Have you ever tried to kill a dandelion? I have. I got them all over my yard, and you cannot do it. I give up real quick when it comes to that battle. I will pull them, but if you leave a tiny little bit of a dandelion's root, it will come back. And it doesn't come back like scarred and broken and bad and wilty. It's like, hey, buddy, I'm back. And it's like flourishing. And you're like, oh, I, I want you dead. Like, can I, 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 want, I want to end you. Like, and you're just like, I can't do it. And then you're like, OK, you can mow it, 
right? But if you mow it in the wrong stage and you spew it stuff everywhere, it just makes more. Like these are the most resilient flower you can think of. And then orchids. I don't know why all the stores are full of orchids for Valentine's Day. It makes very little sense to me. Like you want something you can't keep alive? Here you go. Love you. Um, and so it's like if you try to keep an orchid alive, it's so hard. It's extremely difficult. It's like I was reading up on it again because I'm like, yeah, why are they so hard? And we have a few. We've kind of learned the secret, like after multiple years of failure. And it's like, face it north or west, but not south or east. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? It makes sense, path, sun path, all of that kind of stuff. But still, I'm like, really, directions? Like, buddy, you know? And then it's like watering times and intervals, exactly right. They need to be so dry for so long and, a and wet for a while. But then you're just like, oh, my gosh. And you just... Trying to keep something like that alive, it's really hard. But when they have everything they need to be resilient, they are a way more beautiful flower than a dandelion. We all just need the different things we need to thrive, to bounce back, to come back to a place where we are flourishing. So I remember when I was coaching baseball, and I had a kid who um, struggled hitting because he got hit a few different times. You get hit in the chest with the ball, you get hit in the arm, and it leaves little stitches on it, and you, you know, you're not wanting to get back in the box. And we're like, get back in the box, buddy. Get back in the box. And you get back in the box. And like before the pitch would even come, he's like this. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, buddy. Like, I know you want to hit, I know you, but you gotta, you gotta be in there. And then he's like, I wanna be catcher. I'm like, no, you really don't want to be catcher. And he's like, yeah, I do. And I'm like, I, I don't think so. There's some of us that are built for it and some of us that aren't. And he's like, no. And he it becomes a catcher and he is getting pinged by every ball. He's like, yeah, bring it. And he's like getting hit and it's like the stitching gets left on there. And he's just like, yeah. I'm like, what is happening? This makes no sense. And he's like, has the gear. He has all this stuff. He feels totally safe to do this dangerous job, to go through it and be just fine. He just needed everything he needed to be able to be resilient. Don't keep from yourself the things that you need to be resilient. That's ridiculous. Don't do it. Sometimes you're going to find things in life that spin you so far out, you don't think you're going to get back up, and other ones are like, how did I walk through that? You just have a different resilience for different things. Some of the people I met at the Ronald McDonald House that had tremendous resilience in the face of a sick child might respond really poorly in the middle of a storm called, like, financial difficulties, loss of job. And we are like, my banana. <laughs> like, we have different capacities for it. And there are different stressors that threaten us. And here's the other one. We are all at different stages of it. Of the stress and the suffering side and the resiliency side. Some of us are sitting here today and you might feel you can't take the next step, that you're being overwhelmed by the thing. And I want you to know the only step is step one. Keep going. Some of us are like, I got no problems. Again, we're like, okay, buddy, right? Some of us are like, 
it's just been a thousand little things. <laughs> like, just so many of the little ones. And, buddy, if, if you're the next one, watch out. <laughs> I'm at that point where, like, I don't know how I'm going to respond in the middle of the next one. It's just a thousand different stressors. Okay. We're all at different stages in it. Which means two things. One, we can't judge the other, but that doesn't tend to be our issue. Our bigger issue is we judge ourselves based on where someone's in the process. I do not have to be in the stage you are in. I don't have to believe the thing at my core right now if I'm going through the thing. I just need to take the next step. I don't know where you're all at. I just need to be true to where I'm at. And there is no shame for it. Our passage talks about that. There's no judgment over that. Cut yourself some slack for where you're at in the process. It's okay to just take the next step. That's all any of us have to do anyway. And I want to make one thing clear before we move on. Those of us that are in the middle of a really deep, traumatic hardship or are trying to recover from a past one, one of the things you might need to thrive, to be that beautiful orchid, is you might need some other people and some other people with some experiences. You might need to talk to a pastor, a counselor, a doctor, a director, a parent, right? Do that. Do not deny yourself the first step. You're not supposed to go it alone. Resiliency isn't just, nothing affects me. It's letting others know and it's walking with them, okay? Many of us might be sitting in the room and realizing we have some work to do regarding resilience. I do. So how exactly do we grow resilience? Counselors point to some things that are often like markers for people who are really resilient. And so if you practice these things, you can become more resilient. They're things like connection with others. Another one is taking care of oneself. Prioritizing things like exercise and eating well and all. I know I'm talking about that on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> Can I tell you my relationship with like things like exercise? I'm really not resilient. I'm like, I work out, I'm a sore. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's too much of a struggle, right? Take care of yourself. Learn from past experiences and learn from past failures. Some of the things we have to face are the things we do and mess up. And it's really hard to be resilient when you're like, I just keep messing up, though. How many times before I just throw in the towel am I supposed to just keep messing up and getting back up? The Orthodox Christian uh, tradition has this beautiful story about a monk that is not named. And somebody comes to the monk from outside the monastery and is talking and says, I just keep messing up. And it's so hard. And maybe I should pursue this place where life can't affect me. <laughs> and so, so what do you do in the monastery? 
And the monk said, we fall down and we get up. And then we fall down and we get up. And then we fall down and we get up. I love that picture. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. No matter who you are, no matter where you practice this thing, let's learn from the falling down and the getting up and keep doing it and keep learning. Another one is to learn to regulate your emotions. <sighs> that one's kind of difficult sometimes. Sometimes it's really easy. The thing doesn't make me mad. <laughs> Sometimes it's extremely hard. If you watch the game today, watch the losing team. See how they respond after being knocked down. Every team that comes back, doesn't matter what sport, any athlete that comes back after like being knocked down time and time again and losing, they'll say something very similar. Like, how did you do that? How were you able to come back? And they're like, I didn't get too high and I didn't get too low. They found a way to regulate amidst it and keep the, the, the thing in focus that they're aimed at. Because if I get too high, I'm like, it's all lost, <laughs> right? I can't do it. If I get too low, it's the same kind of thing. You're dysregulated. Sometimes too high is like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. I got this. I'm going to, no. You need to see what's happening. You're down by 30. <laughs> if you don't embrace the struggle, you don't actually have any, like, motivation to tackle it. So there's something about seeing the truth of the thing, being willing to embrace it, and move forward in it. Journeying. So here's the final one. We'll say it this way. To be resilient, we have to learn to change our perspective on the storm. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about. Resilience is journeying through life with a positive perspective on suffering. I don't like that one. Suffering is suffering. It's bad. I don't want it. When my son was going through what he was going through and we're going through what we're going through as we walk with this new little one, I would not wish that on anybody. It was a living hell of sorts. I did not want it. There was no way of looking at that and having a different perspective and saying, well, I'm learning a lot though. <laughs> God's really changing me in the process. I'm like, take it away. End it. Get rid of it. Stop it. Make it end. That's what I was like. And it was okay. Of course I'm going to feel that way in the midst of that. Paul is saying, though, that the more times you go through the suffering thing and come out the other side, the more you can begin to hold something else that's true in the midst of suffering. There's always a second side to the coin. There's a blessing that comes. There's a learning that comes. There's a growth that comes. There's a comforting that comes. There's always something in the midst of the suffering and in the turmoil and the distresses that, that 
doesn't just make you go, okay. You have to hold both, and it gives you some hope for being able to take the next step forward. So resilience is journeying through life with a positive perspective on suffering. Let's look at our passage again, Romans 5, 1 through 5. But we're just going to look at verses 3 through 5. It says, We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. It's a journey Paul's inviting us to so that we can gain a new perspective on our hardships. The first step is what? What's that? Louder. Right. <laughs> right? The first step is that you go through the thing. Are we supposed to seek it out? No. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't go looking for it. Don't try to find suffering. The point is not that that would be the thing we take away. That's not a positive view of suffering. It's still suffering. You don't want it. <laughs> don't go looking for it. But when it comes... Understand it's the beginning of a process. And what does it produce? And this word means like cultivates. And I love that. It's like when a farmer cultivates the land to get it ready. It means to prepare, to get it ready for the next thing, for growth. Suffering tills the soil in a way nothing else actually can. And it prepares you for the next thing. What does it prepare you for? It prepares you for perseverance, endurance, being able to keep going. One step, take the next step. If you can't walk and you're on your knees, crawl the next step. Just keep going. It produces that in us. And the next thing it does is it then cultivates for... What's next? character. It's an odd one. How does, it, how does it help my character? And I think we could think about character here as that like, I am always me no matter what comes at me. I know how to act. I know how to be. I know how to trust. I will be those things in the midst of it, no matter what. Sometimes it's actually extremely hard to be that me when things are really going well for me, actually. <laughs> to be the humble one, the kind one, those kinds of things. So each situation, we have to do all of me. I have to be all of me. And sometimes the really great experiences help me forget some of me. And sometimes the really hard experiences help me forget some of me. And what this pathway is doing is saying it's, it's helping you remember how to act in the middle of the storm, how to respond in the middle of the storm. 
And every time you go through this path, the next time you go through, you'll have that to remember. And the next time, and the next time. So it produces character. It produces this ability that we can remember and not get too high or too low, but know how to act in the middle of it. And finally, it produces hope. Paul was talking to a people who had tremendous hope. They got the gospel. They're like, oh man, this is amazing. And then persecution and poverty and oppression and all these things are trying to rob them of the hope. And Paul knows some of them are this close to saying it's not worth it. I'm just going to set it down. They are that close to saying I'm overwhelmed by it. And what's the point in continuing? What good could there possibly be? The outcome is only bad. I don't want to take the next step. So I'm actually going to take the next step that way. And I'm going to get out of the thing. Because I can't and I won't anymore. And he's saying the final step of the journey is a return to hope. That you got through the thing that was robbing you of it. That you got through the thing that was, that was saying you can't make it. That you withstood the wind and the ice and the melting and the ice again. That you withstood the whole thing. And it's a return to hope. One of the ways that um, brain scientists talk about resilience is a return. They say it's like a return of the normal way you experience thriving and flourishing when you're, when you're doing good. That you're doing well amidst the circumstances and you return to doing well again. I had a, a student that I got to work with um, for a doctoral project, and he was the head um, chaplain for the National Guard in Nevada. And he in the middle of traumatic situations. He goes, there's something we don't do very well, and it's teaching people how to bounce back after being in action in traumatic situations. And he said, and I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm overwhelmed. I can't lead one more funeral. I can't go to one more place where somebody has chosen addiction over as their, their only coping mechanism because they don't have another way. They haven't been taught another way. I don't want to end up in another place where I'm seeing broken people and broken hearts and broken families. And I will not do one more funeral unless I step out to try to change it. So he created a resiliency toolkit that chaplains can use within military settings. And as he started responding back and getting the responses back, he's like, it's, it's working. 
People are taking the first step and finding someone to talk to. People are taking this other step and, and being honest about their coping mechanisms. Others are finding a way to deal with trauma. Others are, and he's like, going like, oh my gosh. People are learning the steps. People are becoming more resilient. They're learning how to bounce back. And I think that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, guys, I don't want to go to one more thing. I don't want to go to one more prison where I hear about the depth of this Roman Empire and how it affects you. I don't want, to, I don't want us to throw in the towel. I want us to keep going. And so here's some steps. Here's your resiliency toolkit. Trust the process. And at the end of the process, we get something really beautiful. It's a positive perspective on suffering. I can look back at the time my son was in that hospital and in those places. I learned tremendous things about trust, about how God is my father, about how he shows up for me. I learned tremendous things about how to show up for others and let others show up for me. I learned tremendously deep things. And I talk about them all the time. And they continue to shape the way that I move into the world and live out who I am. And I can say, thank you, God. Hear me, I'm not thanking him for the thing. <laughs> but there's another side to the thing. And I need to be honest about it so that I can glory in it. And it does give me a little hope the next time something comes. And I remember, oh, right. There's a second side to this thing. I might not see it right now. I might not know exactly what it's gonna be, but there is another side to this. And I start looking for it. I don't have to name it, because sometimes that's just denial. God's got a plan. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yes, he does. But I'm looking for the actual thing. I'm looking for the actual way I'm gonna grow in the midst of it. I can still hate the thing. I can still not want the thing. I can still pray for the thing to go away. And yet I can still also look for the, the beauty piece, the resilience piece, the piece that, that reminds me and says, yeah, there is something here. When Paul talks about resilience, which he often does, he uses Jesus as the model. And he's like, look, dude went through everything and kept popping back up, <laughs> right? And so I want to take a look at some words from Jesus just to get a picture before we end. And this is how we're going to close looking at how Jesus' perspective on suffering played out. So we're going to go to the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes we read these and we're like, oh, God's giving us a list of how to behave so that we'll get these positive results. Okay, great. Many of those sound fine. I'm going to go be more meek. Yeah, let's do that. Let's try to practice being meek and we get this. What do we do with the other ones? 
Am I supposed to seek persecution? Mm -mm. What about mourning? In what way is mourning a blessed state? Anyone here ever mourn? Not blessed, not a beautiful state, not something you want. Jesus is telling them, he's saying, there's something different about me and my kingdom. There's something different about the way it all works. Those who mourn get comforted. Have you ever watched someone get comforted when they're mourning? Have you ever been the one that helps comfort someone when they're mourning? When you're in grief, has somebody ever helped comfort you? It's a tremendous blessing. It's a beautiful state in which you just, for a moment, while you're crying, get to also hope it's okay for a moment. It's this beautiful state. That is a tremendous blessing. And Jesus says, yeah, hold both. <laughs> it's okay you don't want the thing. And it's okay that you felt the, the other side of the thing just as real. Because both are just as real. That's the positive picture of suffering Paul and Jesus are trying to depict and help us grasp. Do not hear me say, try to love suffering and pretend it's just not really suffering. That's what is often called toxic positivity. <laughs> the one that doesn't actually let you hold the depth of the crying and the hardship. That's a denial that the one side of the coin is true. There is suffering. Don't deny it. Don't reach into that level of positivity where you just have to show you're positive about everything and optimistic. No. Also, don't deny the second side of the coin. That there is something beautiful, something flourishing, something amazing being cultivated for you. And that's what resilience is. It's about holding both and walking forward. And we can help each other do it. In a moment, we're going to come to the table. We're going to take communion together. And if you think about what this picture represents, it's the depth of Jesus' suffering. And he glories in it. And he invites us to do the same. To step into this place and practice a different view of that suffering. Look at the beauty in it. Look at the depth of the hurt in it. Hold it all. And so the table becomes a place for us to practice that new view of suffering. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you invite us to a journey with you in resilience that you help us look at the ways the world impacts us and the stresses that come our way and believe that you're with us and that we can take a step. Jesus, thank you that when we cry about our broken banana, you're with us then too. <laughs> God, you're always there and you're always walking with us in those steps. Help us to truly be a people who withstand the storms and bounce back after them. Help us to believe and to hope 
that you are all we need to continue to take that step. God, wherever each one of us is today, would you empower us to take the next step? Just the one. And to see what learnings are in it. As we come to your table to celebrate your sacrifice, may you help us remember that you went to the cross because of the joy set before you. You held it, all of it. Help us to do the same.